It is a joy to be with you this morning, and uh, in, a, in a break from our usual series, uh, I uh, wanted to be able to share with you this morning a sermon from the second chapter of Jonah, and the reason being is that, as many of you know, my uh, father died about four weeks ago, and one of the things that uh, my mom asked me to do is she said, uh, will you preach the funeral sermon? And I thought, well, um, I don't know about the wisdom of that, uh, but I thought, okay, sure, I'll I'll do so. And as we were talking about uh, what it was that I was going to preach on, uh, my mind drifted to this particular passage uh, in the Old Testament, in part because my dad was a, uh, a, a, he loved the ocean, he was in the Navy and and, uh, spent a lot of time on the sea, and so I thought it would be fitting, but more so than that, is that this, I believe, is a passage that should give us all hope uh, in the face of death, uh, no matter what the circumstances may be, whether it may be our own deaths or the deaths of our loved ones. So that being said, if you would please open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2, Jonah chapter 2, and I'll read uh, the second chapter in its entirety, which is just these 10 verses. So let's give attention to the reading of God's Word, Jonah chapter 2. Uh, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were trapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer, and then we'll hear the preaching of the word. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you are merciful to us. And that you give us hope in the face of even our worst enemy, death itself. And so we pray that as we look into the Old Testament, that not only would we better understand this passage of Scripture, but that you would enable us, by the work of your Spirit, to help us to see how this passage ultimately points us to Christ, to his resurrection from the dead, the only hope that we have in the face of sin and death. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. I can remember as a child, uh, among the books that I had in my small library, uh, was a small little uh, picture book that was all about the story of Pinocchio. Uh, You remember the Disney character Pinocchio. And one of the things that I can distinctly remember about that book is that there was a picture of both Pinocchio and Geppetto, his maker, and then ostensibly his father, uh, sitting in the cavernous belly of the whale, Uh, as uh, they were waiting, essentially, to try to escape from the belly of the whale. 
Now, we might think that, okay, this is just a children's book, it's just a Disney cartoon, it's not really all that serious, but what we may not know is that uh, Pinocchio was a 19th century children's fiction novel written by Italian uh, author Carlo Carlotti, uh, and that it's essentially a serious piece of children's literature on the nature, at least on the level of Tolkien's The Hobbit in that what, what you do is you follow the journey of Pinocchio and with very obvious parallels, say, to, to classical literature like uh, Homer's Odyssey, you essentially see Pinocchio diving into the depths of hell and death itself and being raised from the dead. This, I think, particular path is not only something that you see uh, in Homer's Odyssey and then repeated in a children's version in Pinocchio, but it's ultimately a passage and it's an idea that Carlotti draws from the Bible itself. Again, remember, Pinocchio's maker, Geppetto, swallowed whole by a whale. And Pinocchio dove into the ocean and entered the whale and encouraged Geppetto that they could escape. And so they waited for the right moment for you know, Pinocchio and Geppetto to make their run for it, so to speak. And they, as the whale opened its mouth, they were able to swim out and uh, swim to the surface. And it's by being brave and being courageous uh, that enabled Pinocchio to earn the right to become, in the words of Geppetto, a real boy. In other words, to go to cease from being that wooden puppet, that marionette, to being a flesh and blood uh, human being. Well, there's two things that I want us to note about what you know, Carlotti does here with the story of Pinocchio. Again, first of all, I can uh, see in my mind's eye still to this day, and I even Googled it to make sure that my memory was correct, and, and it was. It's that picture of Geppetto and Pinocchio sitting in the belly of the whale. In fact, sitting at a table even. It, it was just so uh, large and cavernous. And when I was a child, I think that particular image influenced the way that I read the story of Jonah. Historical narrative, true story, Jonah swallowed by the whale. And so as I read Pinocchio, saw that picture, thought of Jonah and the whale, or the fish as the text calls him, I thought of Jonah sitting there in the belly of the whale, waiting to be spit out, praying, perhaps miserable, perhaps uh, you know, wet and uh, sitting there in this dark belly, just praying and waiting upon the Lord. So that's the first thing. The second thing, the second thing is that notice the overall, if I dare I say, the theology in uh, Kaladi's message, which is that even in the face of death or seemingly insurmountable circumstances, such as being swallowed in the belly of a whale, if you try hard enough, if you're just courageous enough, if you're just brave enough, you can save yourself and your loved ones, even from the jaws of death itself. You can bring about your own transformation if only you have enough courage and honesty. Well, as common as these two ideas are, I think what the Bible tells us here in Jonah chapter 2 is a very different message. It's a lot like, I want to say, Caravaggio's painting, The Conversion on the Way to Damascus, where the famous 16th century Italian painter uh, paints this portrait or this picture of the Apostle Paul being knocked off his horse as he's on the road to Damascus. And there's a picture there of Christ uh, speaking there to Paul as he's fallen to the ground. 
Now, of course, we'll set aside the whole question of violations of the second commandment and images of the Godhead. But uh, what's interesting is that nowhere in the book of Acts, nowhere in Acts chapter 8, does the text mention a horse. Uh, let alone that Paul actually visibly beheld Jesus. But what happens is that that particular painting has influenced so many people, so much so that we think that when Paul was on the road to Damascus, he was riding on a horse and he got knocked off, even though the text says nothing of it. Well, just as Caravaggio's painting has influenced the way that, that we read the scriptures, I think Pinocchio sometimes, or at least, uh, at least in the present day, has influenced a whole lot of people to say, we read the, Jonah chapter 2 in a particular way, namely the idea that Jonah was alive in the belly of the whale. My picture book shaped my perception and my understanding of the text. Well, I want to I submit to you something that may at first sound completely out from left field, but I think that there's ample biblical evidence uh, for the case, and it's I submit to you that Jonah died in the belly of the whale. He died. He ceased to be alive. Uh, and that that's exactly what Jonah chapter 2 tells us. Jonah died that day. Now, it's entirely possible that God could have undoubtedly preserved Jonah's life in the belly of the whale so that he was alive for the entire stretch of the three days and the three nights. It's entirely possible God could have done that. But instead, I want to submit to you again that, that when Jonah went into the belly of the whale, what we read of in Jonah chapter 2 is not only his prayer, but we can say it's the, the last gasps of a dying man. As he prays. Now, on the one hand, we can commend Jonah for at least the fact that he was able to keep his, 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 uh, you know, his balance, if you will, and not lose it. I, I've almost drowned before. I had to be rescued, pulled out of the water by my hair, literally. And I can promise you, I was not praying. You know, I, I won't go into the details other than the fact to say that if it weren't for my brother pushing me down, you know, to get on top of me so that he could breathe. So I was, you know, fighting and scrambling. I was not praying. But Jonah had uh, the state of mind to pray. But they were the, it was a prayer of a dying man. And it's this prayer, and not only this prayer, but then God subsequently and miraculously raising Jonah from the dead. That is where the miracle lies. Jonah dies in the belly of the whale. God raises his, him from the dead. And this is why in the New Testament, Jesus says, I will not give you any miraculous sign except for the sign of Jonah. So I want us to understand that so that we can understand that in reading Jonah chapter 2 and then how Christ handles it and how he interprets it, that when we look into the, the face of death itself, we can have hope because of the sign of Jonah because of what Jesus Christ has given us through his life, death, and most importantly, as Paul would say in Acts chapter 15, his resurrection from the dead. So let's, let's give thought first to what Jonah has to say in his prayer. And that we all know, I think, the rough outline of the book of Jonah. Uh, God called him to preach to the Ninevites. He says in chapter 1, go, arise, and go to Nineveh. I want you to preach. I want you to preach the gospel. 
And so rather than heading to Nineveh, Jonah heads in the exact opposite direction and he runs away as fast as he can. And so he boards a ship. He boards a ship in order to flee from the call of God. And as he's out on the waters at the ocean, God whips up a storm in order to prevent the ship from sailing on its voyage. And this was a storm of a nature that it had the sailors terrified. You know, any time that you can terrify a seasoned sailor, you got to know that you are on pretty rough seas. You know, my dad told me a story once that when he was about 14 years old, he and one of his friends took a 12-foot little boat, skiff basically, with an outboard motor, and they went from Boca Raton, Florida, out to Bimini, which is one of the closest islands, uh, it's the closest islands in the Bahamas, and he says it took them a number of hours to get out there, and they, they got out there and everything went fine, but it was on the journey back that things got hairy. He says that the, ro- the ocean got rough, and as it got rough, they would chug up the swell and then chug down into the swell. And he says, it is a frightening thing to be on the ocean when you look around and 360 degrees around you is nothing but a wall of water. Frightening, terrifying. This is how the sea was, if not worse. The sailors were beside themselves. And so they cried out to their gods, fearful that the storm would tear the ship apart and it would tear them to pieces and that they would all drown and die. Where was Jonah? He was asleep. (laughs) He was asleep. So much so that the captain comes down to him and he says in chapter 1, verse 6, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us that we might not perish. It's an all hands on deck. Call on every single God you know, including your God, Jonah, because that's about the only hope that we have. And so in the process, the sailors, they go and cast lots. They cast lots. They essentially roll the dice to try to find out who is it among us on this ship that is the cause of everything that we're going through. And so they, they, the lots fell to Jonah, and so the captain begins to interrogate him and asks him, uh, you know, what do we need to do? And Jonah says the unthinkable. He says in verse 8, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah knew what was going on. But it was unthinkable, even for pagan sailors. It's like, we can't throw you overboard. That would be murder. And nevertheless, pagan as they were, and initially as unthinkable as it was, they eventually called out to God and asked for forgiveness for what they were about to do. And verse 15 says they hurled him into the sea. And the seas, we read, ceased from their raging. So the terror was over for the sailors, but it was just beginning for Jonah. Narrative tells us in chapter 1, verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, this statement in particular, I think, gives us the impression, at least initially, that Jonah was sitting in the the belly of the whale or the fish, like Geppetto and Pinocchio. Maybe not with a table and a candle, but, you know, nevertheless, just waiting. Miserable, wet, but alive. 
But if we pay close attention to Jonah's prayer, I think we'll see something very different. Notice what Jonah tells us in verse 2. He says in, uh, in verse 2, or sorry, chapter, uh, yeah, chapter 2, verse 2, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me, out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. Look in the Old Testament. Sheol is the place of the dead. It's the place of the dead. Verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. The pit is again another reference to death. We find this exact parallel language in another Old Testament book in Job, in Job chapter 17, verses 13 and following, where we read, If I hope for Sheol as my house, if I make my bed in darkness, if I say to the pit, you are my father, and to the worm, my mother, or my sister, where then is my hope? Who will see my hope? Will it go down to the bars of Sheol? Shall we descend together into the dust? There, Job combines all of these concepts, Sheol, the pit, the bars of Sheol, and Job even throws in worms. Now, when I was a kid, I don't know about you guys, but there was a song we used to sing every once in a while. Remember this one? The worms crawl in, the worms crawl out, they eat your guts, they spit you out. Remember that one? And if you don't remember that one, well, now maybe I've given you an earworm that's going to, you know, you're going to be thinking that the rest of the day. But the fact that Job mentions worms, he mentions Sheol, he mentions the pit, the bars, the gates of Sheol, as well as with the dust, Job says, Sheol in the pit is death. And this is what Jonah says. You answered me out of the belly of Sheol, you brought up my life from the pit. But notice what Jonah says in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah's life was fainting away. He was drowning. He was dying. I don't know if you saw this, but it was about three weeks ago and I was just, as I was preparing this message, I couldn't believe of the timing of the providence is that there was a lobster diver in Massachusetts who got swallowed by a humpback whale. It was in the news. I thought, you got to be kidding me. He says that he was down there doing his thing, and all of a sudden, uh, and he was swallowed whole, and he says it just went black, went dark, couldn't see a thing. And then he realized what had happened. You know, I guess, you, you know, you realize from the inside, uh, maybe there was a little label in there that says whale, uh, you know. And so as he says, he finally figured out what was going on and he started throwing elbows back and forth, back and forth inside the mouth of the whale and the whale coughed him up. Now, the reason that that man was able to survive is he had scuba gear on. Jonah didn't. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Jonah consigned himself to death. Verses 5 and 6, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land 
whose bars closed upon me forever. Jonah died. But Jonah died with hope because he he prays in such a way as to say he knows the Lord will deliver him. He's got confidence in this. He knows that his prayers will reach the Lord, that one day again he will praise God in his temple. And so then the narrative tells us that the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomits Jonah out on the dry land. I, I, again, I submit to you that it was his corpse. And notice the words that follow next are key in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. God could have simply told Jonah, go to Nineveh. But he tells him, arise. What if I told you that this is the exact same word that Jesus tells Jairus' daughter? You remember the story of Jairus' daughter? Jairus, one of the rulers of the, of the synagogue, comes to Jesus and he tells to him, he says, my daughter is dying, you have to come. I know that if you, uh, you are willing, you can heal her, you can heal her from her sickness and keep her from dying. But then Jesus gets delayed as he heals a hemophiliac and then runners come and tell Jesus and Jairus, it's too late, she's gone. And so Jesus goes to Jairus' house and he sees all of the mourners there and they're wailing. And he tells all of the mourners, I don't know why you're wailing, but uh, she's just asleep. And they jeered at him. They laughed. And he says, you know, get these people out. And he took Jairus and his wife and Peter, James and John into the, into the room and where the little, where the little girl was lying And we read in Mark 5.41, he says, taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi. It's the same exact word, kumi, arise. He says, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. Jesus told the little girl, arise. God spoke to Jonah as his corpse was on the beach. And he says to Jonah, arise. Exact same words. And he raises Jonah from the dead. The fish vomits Jonah's corpse upon the shore and God raised him to life by the power of his word. At the heart of the book of Jonah is the message of resurrection from death. And I think this addresses the first major difference between, say, the Bible and Pinocchio, among others. That Jonah died in the belly of the whale and God raised him from uh, death to life. This brings us to a second point, which is why does Jesus appeal to this very narrative? As Jesus was uh, teaching the crowds and he cast out a demon, the religious leaders accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And even when he's there performing many signs and wonders, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's making the, the, the lame walk and the blind see. They want more evidence. Give us a miraculous sign. And how does Jesus respond in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 and following? He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. 
For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus told the crowds, it's not the fact of the swallowing that is the significance of the comparison between Jonah and Jesus. It's the fact that Jonah dies. And so Jesus says, just as Jonah died, it was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So the son of man will be swallowed by death. But after three days and three nights, the son of man will arise. That's the significance and as to why Jesus appeals to Jonah. Think of it, just as Jonah is raised from the dead, preaches his message, and droves of Gentiles are saved, so God will raise Jesus from the dead, and the message of the gospel will go out, and droves of Gentiles will be saved. This is the nature of the miraculous sign that God will give through Jesus Christ. He will give the sign of Jonah, and Jesus says, that's what you're going to get. That's the great significant sign that you will receive. That's the miracle. And just as the people in Nineveh's day believed because of that sign, contrary-wise, ironically, you still won't see it. Because you're hard-hearted. You're a wicked and adulterous generation. And what this speaks to is it speaks to the second difference between the Bible and Pinocchio, when death comes, it swallows us whole. We're incapable of of timing it right and escaping from the belly of death the way that Geppetto and Pinocchio swam out of the belly of the whale. There's no way to escape its clutches. You know, the world tries as hard as it can to say that, you know, you know, we can be strong in the face of death. Ralph Waldo Emerson once said, death comes to all, but great achievements build a monument which shall endure until the sun grows cold. I want to say that's, that's garbage. People die, he says, and we can build great monuments to them. They can achieve great things and they can live on in spite of their death. And I want to say it's lies. It's lies. You know, one of the things that I was doing yesterday was I was we were out running errands and we were in the Hobby Lobby and I was looking for something for my daughter and I came across the, the kind of the, the aisle that had trains in it. My dad had trains. Love trains. And he had a train set, N-Gage. And I saw a little N-Gage starter set. And it, it, it choked me up. Because all I could think about is my dad. And the fact that nothing I can do to bring him back. He's gone. He's gone. You know, how often do we as a culture and as a people try to sanitize institutionalize and minimize death. We say he kicked the bucket because we don't want to say that word, death. He bought the farm. He's gone to a better place. That's what some have told me that I don't, I'm not entirely convinced that they have the hope of the gospel. He's gone to a better place. Well, they'll live forever in our memories. They've passed away. We want to run from death like 
Jonah fleeing from the call of God and pretend that it's not there. And what it all amounts to is just spitting in the wind, whistling in the dark, trying to muster enough courage to pretend that death isn't really all that bad. But beloved, at the heart of the sign of Jonah is the towering figure of Jesus Christ, the one man who has indeed defeated sin and death. Here's the thing. Jonah deserved to die. He disobeyed and rebelled against the exact command and instruction of God. By all the terms of the covenant in the Old Testament, the Mosaic covenant, he deserved death. And yet Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who is perfectly righteous, perfectly obedient, not only obeyed every single jot and tittle of the law, but he suffered the penalty of the law on our behalf. He suffered on the cross of Calvary in our place. And though he died, death had no right, no claim to him because he was sinless and righteous. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus is sinless. And so on the morning of the third day, God told his son, arise. He raised him from death to life. One greater than Jonah is here, and he has conquered sin and death. And he alone, Jesus Christ, is the one who gives us hope in the face of death. You know, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never been much for mixing it up. You know, I've, I've only been probably in two or three fights that I can remember. One is as a, as a middle schooler. And then one when I was at work because it was part of the job. I, I was uh, retail security and I ended up getting in a fight with a shoplifter. But I'm not built in such a way as to, uh, you know, want to, to, to say, to taunt people and say, hey, you, you know, you, you're not as good as you think you are. I'm not that athletic either. You know, I enjoy certain aspects of athleticism, but do you know what I really don't like to do, can't stand it, don't ever want to do it, is I never want to eat crow. Hate eating crow. So that's why when it comes time, you know, if we're, if we're playing sports or whatever, I'm not one to trash talk, I'm not one to taunt, because just in case... I happen to lose, which is probably not just in case. It's probably more likely than not. I don't have to eat crow in addition to eating a, a, a humble pie and having to, you know, uh, eat my words because I taunted the wrong person and then on top of it lose the game, lose the match, or worse yet, get beat up. You know, don't want to do that. Aside from the fact that, you know, it's ungodly, you're not supposed to fight. So, you know, we'll just lodge that there too. You don't taunt people that can beat you. And yet this is exactly what the Apostle Paul does with death. He taunts it. Which knowing what we know about death, we would think, that's not a smart thing. And yet because of the victory that God gives us in Christ over death through the resurrection... Paul taunts death. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 55 and following, death is swallowed up in victory. I can't help but think there that he's thinking back to Jonah. The whale swallows up Jonah, but Jesus Christ swallows up death. 
Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul taunts death. He says, you don't have anything on us. I can quote the words of Rocky Balboa. You ain't so bad. Because we believe in Jesus, we can look into the face of death and we can smile. What does the psalmist say? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. God does not tell us that the Christian life will lead and go around the valley. He says it's going to go straight through it. But in the midst of that valley, as the shadow of death hangs low over us, nevertheless, God says, I will give you the good shepherd who will lead you and who will guide you and whose presence will comfort you and whose uh, victory in the face of death will give you confidence and hope. We do not therefore face death without hope. Death is not a final exclamation point upon our lives, but rather it's only merely a comma that ends with the exclamation point of resurrection. I was with my dad when he died. I was holding his arm as he took his last breath. And he died at 5.56 a.m., just shortly after dawn that morning, which was about 5.24. I think if you were to ask the world... What did they see? What did they hear of? They would say that, well, it's such a shame that your father died on that day because he didn't, didn't live long enough to see the dawn of a new day. But because of the hope of the sign of Jonah, because of the hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the only hope that we have, I saw something very different through the eyes of faith, as did the rest of my family, as all of us should is that my father awoke that morning to the dawn of the eternal Sabbath day, the day of the new heavens and the new earth, a day unceasingly illumined by the light and the glory of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's hope there. There's joy there. There may be sorrow, maybe sadness for the time because we're going to miss the loved ones that we lose to death. But it's like I told my dad, This isn't goodbye. This is, I'll see you later. I told him, I said, Dad, you're going to go and be into the presence of Christ. This is an exciting thing for you. I can't tell you how excited I am for you. I almost wanted to give him a list of questions for the Apostle Paul, for Jesus, for John Calvin, for Herman Boving, for all of these people. You've got to ask all these questions. It's just that I knew that, you know, he wouldn't be able to get me the answers. But I said, Dad, when you stand in the presence of Christ, it's going to be like that and the rest of us will be with you. This isn't goodbye. So though we mourn now, our sorrow will give way to joy. And when we hear the sound of the last trump and Christ returns, the dead in Christ will rise and we will all stand in the presence of the throne of God. On that unending day, we will sup at the great marriage feast of the Lamb. And there will be no sorrow because Christ will wipe away every single tear. And there will be no end to our unceasing joy as we worship our triune God. That's the hope that comes to us in the sign of Jonah. 
His death and resurrection pointed to a greater death and resurrection that was yet to come. That would come through Jesus Christ. So, beloved, we can say that we have hope through the gospel of Christ because Christ has defeated death. In the words of one 16th century poet by the name of John Donne, he says, Death, be not proud. Though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for thou art not so. For those whom thou thinkest thou dost overthrow, die not, poor death, nor yet canst thou kill me. You don't have anything on me. Death has nothing on us. In the face of death, remember the sign of Jonah and take heart and rest in Christ's victory over death. In the uplifting words of the Heidelberg Catechism, which we just read moments ago, Question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own, but I belong body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we give you thanks for the hope of the resurrection, for the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah died and was raised from death... We rejoice in the resurrection of one greater than Jonah. For Jonah deserved his death for his sin, but Jesus Christ did not, for he was perfectly righteous, and he alone is the one who saves us from the curse of the law, from death itself. He delivers us by his perfect righteousness and gives us hope if we only believe in him. Oh, Father, may we not lose hope of the resurrection and of the gospel blessings that come only to us in Christ as we face death. So often death can be like that storm-tossed ocean where all we see around us is a wall, a terrifying wall of death. We look all around us, O Lord, and we think there's no way out. And save but for Christ, there is no way out. And so we pray, O Lord, that you would not allow death or its specter to rob us of the hope that we have in Christ, that we would all look forward to standing before your throne on the last day, and that we would all bask in the unending, glorious light that comes from the Lamb of God. O Father, until then, give us hope in the face of death. Help us to know that we will see our loved ones again because of Christ and that together we will all be reunited before the throne of Christ. In the meantime, O Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith and never let death rob us of our hope. We pray and ask all of these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen.